If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 21. That's where we're going to start our text from this morning. While you're turning there, I'd like to say I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you this morning. It's my prayer. Also, I appreciate Scott's prayer. Uh, Usually coming from a brother, it's ridicule, so it's nice to be uh, prayed for every now and then. (laughs) But uh, no, it's my prayer also that the things that I have to say will be edifying to you and that it'll be thus saith the Lord and thus saith the Lord only. And that's my goal here this morning, to edify and bring something to you hopefully that that we can take through the next week and the coming days and, and be better in the future than we have in the past. There in Numbers chapter 21... We're going to read a story that we probably read before, but it's about the fiery serpents that went amongst the children of Israel. And then to give a little background to this story, the children of Israel have left out of Egypt. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've gone through. They've been protected many times. And now they come into contact with a king, with a king by, by the name Ahad. He's the king of the Canaanites. And there's a skirmish between them, and he takes some of the Israelites captive. So they've taken some of their number uh, back uh, to, the, to the Canaanite stronghold, and he's holding them there. Well, the children of Israel obviously are very upset about this, and they make a vow to the Lord, and they said, if you will be with us, and if you'll fight with us, and if you'll deliver the Canaanites into your hand, we're going to go to war with them, and we're going to take them back. And as many times as God always did with the children of Israel, he was with them. He said they utterly destroyed them, and they took their brethren back with them, and they, be, they continued their travels. And as they go on, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. They finished this battle. Now keep that in mind, what they've seen up to this point in their travels. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've been... Uh, led by a cloud in the day, and they've been led by a pillar of fire at night. They've seen the Egyptian army destroyed. And now this recent one that we're looking at was Arad, the king of the Canaanites. They utterly destroyed him with the help of God. Now let's pick it up in verse 4 there. It says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and compassed the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They were upset or discouraged because the way was hard. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if any serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. You know, it's very easy for us to sit and pick on the children of Israel. I can't believe how they've seen all the things that God did for them, the Red Sea parted, all of the miracles that he did, and then still whine and complain because they got a little discouraged because the way was tough. But you know, that seems to be a trait of mankind. You know, if we really think about ourselves, how many times do we gripe and complain about all the things that happen in our lives? But that's what they're doing at this time. And they went so far as to say, God, Moses, why did you even bring us out of Egypt? 
Why'd you bring us across that Red Sea? Why'd you destroy the Egyptian army and you brought us out here and there's no water in the food that you're giving us, which is from heaven, by the way, the manna and the quails that he sent every day. They said, we're tired of that. We're sick of it. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? And obviously, you know how you would feel as a father if your children told that, that to you. I'm just sick of the place we live. I'm sick of the food you're feeding me. And he sent these fiery serpents among them, and people began to die. You know, I can't think of much worse of a nightmare than fiery serpents. Serpents or snakes are very, something I am very afraid of. You can ask my wife, there's two things I do. The first thing I do when I see them, I scream, my hands come up, and I do a dance. I've never seen the dance, but I have been a part of the dance. But, I mean, I can't imagine, and, you know, it's, I say that in jest, but the fact is it's very scary. People were dying because they murmured against God. And they murmured against Moses. It was serious. People were dying. And they realized what they've done, and as fashion as we do as humans, they go to Moses and they said, we've sinned against God. You've got to do something about this. You've got to stop this. And Moses went to God and he said, you make an image of the, of the serpent out of brass and you put it up on a pole. And he says, anybody that looks on it is going to be saved. And as the story plays out, that's exactly what happened. When that serpent was raised on high and people that were bitten and those who have not been bitten and they had looked on that, they were safe from the fiery serpents that were among them. And, and the plague was stemmed because they repented. Now, as we look at that this morning, I want you to remember that story. I want you to think about their murmurings as we go through the rest of the lesson. You know, we live in a world that's doing its best to do away with God. You know, people get upset when you mention his names. Our children try to pray in school or bring Bibles to school and they're ridiculed. People don't like that. Atheism, humanism, whatever isms you want that are anti-Christianity are on the rise. And it's very easy, I think, for us to fall prey, not to the isms, if you will, all the isms you want to put, atheism, whatever, but all that, it's very easy for us to lose sight of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about. That's what I've titled my lesson this morning is I see you. I see you. You know, we all can see, most of us, some better than others, I've realized recently since I've had to get glasses. But I see you. Do we really see Jesus today? You know, it's very easy for me to get tunnel vision. And that's why I thought about that's That's why I did this lesson, because it's something I feel like I was needing in my life, because so many times we go through the motions. Me and Emily were talking on the way here and said, you know, so many times we read the Bible and we sit down and we may burn through a chapter, you know, and read it in five minutes, ten minutes, and we sit down and I, I catch myself and I go, I just read a chapter in the Bible. What did it say? And I go, I don't know, because I had tunnel vision. And I think we do that with Christ. I know I do. We, we sometimes tend to relegate him to just, yeah, he's, he's our Savior. Yeah, he died for us. And, and yeah, he's there. But somehow I find myself that, he, that I feel that he's somehow kind of not tangible or I'm not putting him 
into the role that he should. I'm not seeing him. You know, we, in the, the kind of sight that I'm talking about today, and I, I'm, I hope and pray that I get this across because I've struggled with it a little bit in this lesson, is seeing Christ not only with our eyes, but with our heart and with our soul. A true sight of what Jesus is. Cain talked here a while back about what Jesus was, and I don't want to trample on his lesson, and I, I think this goes well with it, but we have to see Jesus for who he is and not just something relegated that we think about or that we're passing or, oh, yeah, that's the Son of God and he died for us. We have to really see him. Turn over to John chapter 12, starting in verse 44. John chapter 12, starting in verse 44 through 50. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but him that sent me. He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him the words that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment which I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whosoever I speak there, whatsoever I speak thereof, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. You know, when we began to look at Jesus and we began to, what I would just say, build our relationship with him and we began to look at him and we began to see him, we have to realize that God and Jesus are synonymous. They're the same. Yeah, Jesus was God in flesh and Jesus is God in spirit, but they were both there at the creation of the world. Jesus is the Son of God, and that's what he says here in these verses. He says, when you hear the things that I'm saying... He said, you're not just hearing me. You're hearing what God once said. He said, when you believe in me, you're believing in the things not only that I said or that I'm doing or that I told you to do, but what God has told you to do. He said, I didn't say anything that God didn't give me permission to say and that he doesn't back up. We have to realize that Jesus Christ is the integral part, the foundation, the Bible says. He is the head of the corner of the foundation of our belief. And we have to see him. We have to truly see him. We have to realize that just like the children of Israel, when they were being bitten by those fiery serpents that were among them, and they were dying, you and I are dying too from the fiery serpents of sin. There's not a one of us in this audience that is not touched by sin. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us if we say that we don't have sin, we're fooling ourselves and we're lying, or we're liars. We're all touched with sin. We've all been bitten by that serpent. But the good news is, just like that brass serpent that was held up, Christ was nailed to a cross outside Jerusalem. And he was suspended between heaven and earth, and his precious blood poured out for you and I. When we really see Jesus, we begin to realize that he gave up everything for a vile, sick, and depraved 
human being. That's me. That's mankind. That's what we begin to see when we truly see Jesus. We see a person that was there that spoke the world into creation. Go to John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us later on in the chapter. And we beheld Him, it said. Could you imagine giving up everything that you own to go to the most filthiest, vile place you can think of and to be ridiculed and to be beaten and to die the most horrible death that a person could die. That's what we see when we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he did for us. He is the Son of God. There's so many people that will make the statement as you look in in history and they think, yeah, Jesus was a good man, and yes, he was a figure in history. But the Son of God, come on, really? Who believes in that nonsense anymore? And as it's been said so many times, if you wanted to disprove that, if they wanted to disprove it so bad, and they did, show me the body. There was no body because he was the Son of God, and he was raised on the third day. When we see Jesus, that's what we see. That's what we should see. John chapter 1 and verse 29, when Jesus is coming to John the Baptist, as he's walking down the hill there as John's baptizing, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that is to take away the sin of mankind. You know, all of us in this audience could die right now and offer our lives for someone but it would never equal that of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was perfect. He was that perfect lamb of God. He was without spot, and he was without blemish. I can't say that. I'm not without spot. I'm not without blemish. The reason that Jesus had to come was because of me and because of mankind. Jesus is the Savior of mankind. When we begin to look at that, we have to realize the magnitude of that. You know, I think of the magnitude of the sin that was on Jesus' shoulders from my standpoint and how heavy a load that must have been. Now imagine every sin that's ever been committed from the beginning of time until the end that hung on, the, that hung on Christ's shoulders as he was on the cross. We've never been separated from God because he turned his back on us. Jesus did. He hung there and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was my fault. That was mankind's fault. And we have to see that if we're going to build on that foundation. If we're truly going to see Christ, we have to make that realization that I'm not perfect, that I've got problems. And when we start there, that's where we begin to build on that foundation. John 14, verse 6, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And nobody comes unto the Father except by me. There's a lot of ways out there. You don't have to go very far on the the Google machine on your phone, fire it up, different religions. There's lots of ways. But if that way doesn't involve Jesus Christ... That's not the way. His own words said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to see that. 
we have to look past man's arrogance and his ideas to see Christ. And when we begin to see Christ, we begin to see that he is our intercessor. I want you to think about that. I want you to see that this morning, truly see that. Think about that. As God sits on his throne and was able to create the world by saying, by speaking it into existence, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And as you sit there today, as I stand here this morning, and we know the things that we've done, we can think back to the times when it was the lowest point in our life. And I ask you to do that this morning. Think back to the time when you were so stressed, you were so dismayed, everything was dark. And then remember the times that you prayed. And I want you to think about Jesus Christ standing at the throne, going, Father, I know it's bad, but he's mine. Here's my blood that I offered on the cross. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 is a very comforting verse. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The Son of God lives to intercede on our behalf for God, for us to God. Why are we not excited about that when we truly see that? You know, we talk about it, and in, in Luke mentioned it in his lesson the other, other night when he was talking about the, the thing you, have to, you seem to have to overcome when you're, you're delivering or you're talking to somebody about the gospel, that, that almost sense of dread sometimes, that fear of saying something wrong. Why? When we have an intercessor... And we have someone that stands up to the creator of the universe and says, God, I love him. He's mine. Why are we not shouting that from the rooftops? Why are we not telling everybody what's been done for us, the things that have been blotted out of our lives, the things of, the, of our brothers and sisters that, that have been blotted out of their lives, the love that exists in his church between his people? Why do we have that hang up? I think if we're truly seeing God and we're truly seeing Christ, we'll do that. Because there's lots of people hurting. And there's lots of people that need to see Jesus. He has compassion on those that are lost. You know, and a lot of times when you talk to somebody, they say, well, you know, I've just done so much in my life. There's so much that I've done that Christ can't forgive me. Christ doesn't want to forgive me. Christ isn't going to forgive me. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is the devil's lie. As Jesus hung on the cross, and the very people that put him there stood at the feet of that cross, laughing and ridiculing as they had fresh blood on their hands from driving the nails. Well, that was scary. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think you've done anything bad enough that Jesus cannot forgive you? He will forgive you. He has compassion. 
on everyone. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34 says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them. And because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Christ has compassion on everyone. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life, how bad you're hurting, what's affecting your life. It affects Christ. As he walked on this earth, it, that, that verse that we read, he saw the people coming, and they were leaderless. They didn't, know, he didn't, they didn't know what was going on. And he said he had compassion on them. How many times do we read in the Bible, and Jesus had compassion on those that were blind, had compassion on those who had leprosy, had compassion on, and it goes on and on. And ultimately, he had compassion on you and I because he died on the cross. If you take nothing away from this lesson today, take away that there is a way out. There is a way to come to Jesus, and he will love you, and he will forgive you, and that's his gospel, the good news. I want to switch gears just a little bit. You know, we need to see Jesus... But I also want us to know that Jesus sees us. There's not a thing that we, not a place we can go, not a, a room we can get in that Jesus can't see us. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He knows what you need. He sees us. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 47 through 49. He says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him, and he said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. You know, at first, when you, read, when, I, when you read that verse, you look at it and you go, well, why did this affect him so? Why did him saying, well, you know, I saw you under the tree? Jesus was telling him, more than likely, he was, when he came to him and he said, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, he was reading his personality. He was reading his heart. And he finished it off and he said, who are you? When he, when he said that, an Israelite in whom there is no God, he said, who are you? That, how do you know me? I don't know you. But he said, you remember before Philip came and you were sitting under the tree? He said, I saw you. And he's not saying that he saw him physically. He saw his heart. And Philip understood, I mean, and Nathaniel understood that. And that's why he said, Thou art the Son of God. Jesus sees us just like he saw Nathaniel. He sees in our heart. He sees what we need. He sees how we need to change and what we need to do to do that. 
but he truly sees us. In a world where people are overlooked and marginalized and set apart and, and basically done away with a lot of times, it's not that way with Jesus. He sees us. Let's turn over to John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. This is the woman in the well. And so the woman, woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, Well, I, that I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. It is said, In that said thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. You know, to set that story, we've all talked about it before, but she's talking to Jesus at the well, and he asks her for a drink. And she's very confused by that, and she makes the statement. She says, why are you doing this? You're a, you're a, a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. I'm unclean to you. Why are you talking to me? And why are you asking for a drink? And Jesus begins to, proceeds to tell her about the living waters or the words that he has to speak, that when a person hears those or drinks of those words, they'll never thirst again. He's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual filling from God's word. And he tells her, he says, you know, after I've told you this, why don't you go get your husband and, and bring him here and let me talk to him? She said, I don't have a husband. And that's why he answered, you've answered right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And she realized then that he saw in her heart because how would anybody know that? She doesn't know this guy from Adam. He doesn't know her. He saw her heart. And you know what her response to that was as you read on in the chapter? She went all over where she lived telling everybody, you've got to come see this guy. He's told me everything that he's ever done. Surely this is the Christ. I ask you this morning, what's in your heart that Christ is seeing? If you're seeing him, he's seeing you. Let him see our hearts. Let him see what we need. And let's come to him. Let's let him fix it. He has compassion for us. Luke 19 and verse 10 says he came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come down here to, to exact punishment on people. He seeked. He was seeking and saving the lost. He said, the whole don't need a physician, the sick do. He said, and that's why I'm here. He sees us. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Let's turn and read that one. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and to recover the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's what Jesus wants to do for us today. He wants to heal our broken heart. He sees that in our lives. And he asks that we see him, truly see him, and follow after him. But there's also another component to the ICU foundation, if you will. We not only have to see Christ, we also not only have to let him see us, but we have to see others. And again, truly see others, heart, mind, and with our soul. And that's 
where we tend to hit a bit of a rub, isn't it? That's where I tend to hit a bit of a rub. See, I'm not going to stand here this morning and under the illusion that my personality jihaws with everyone in this audience. I realize my character flaws as much as I can. Not as much as my wife tells me that I should, but the fact is, I have flaws. And I have to see my brethren, and I have to interact with my brethren, I have to interact with every one of you. And I realize, and I'm not arrogant enough, enough to, to blank out that I rub people the wrong way sometimes. And I want to give you an example just about this. Just about personalities and, and dealing with our brothers in Christ. Mitch Price and I, I consider him to be a very good friend. Not only my brother in Christ, but a very good friend. And when me and Mitch get together a lot of times, there's been times that I've sat in my living room and his family is there and my family is there and we began to talk on a subject. And if you know Mitch and you know me, we're not quiet people when we begin to discuss something. We get very passionate. We get very loud. And we sit there and we go, at, go back and forth and we're not necessarily disagreeing. Sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. But it gets very loud and we begin to shake our hands and we're going, no, this is what I... No, I'll tell you what, this is... And you know... We sit there and we do that and our wives are kind of looking at us going, what in the world's going on? And then when it's done, I hug his neck and slap his back and say, I love you, brother. Let's get together and do this again. But you know why we can do that? Because Mitch sees me. And I see Mitch. But if Mitch and I didn't do that, if, if that offended him and I didn't realize that and I didn't see past that and me raising my voice and me getting animated, if he doesn't see through that, he's going to be offended. If I don't see that in myself, I can offend people. And my point is with that story is we have to realize that we're all different people and we all have different things that, that bother us and things that, that set us off. But we as brothers and sisters are given a commandment by God to see each other. Not just this right here. Not just the abrasive outward texture of someone. But their heart. And you know what? If you, re if you really think about it, you think about the people in your life that you truly love and that you truly see. They can do a lot of things to you and say a lot of things to you. And you just go, oh, that's all right. That's my buddy. That's my friend. I love him. We need to be that way with everyone that's a member of God's kingdom. We have to look past the things that bother us, the things that we don't like, and we have to see the person. We have to see the soul of our brothers and sisters. John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 2, excuse me. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 He that saith that he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abide in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in, dark, is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. 
pretty cut and dried. If we're going to sit here and say that we're a good Christian and we're walking in the light, we better be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means the ugly with the pretty, with the bad, all the things comes wrapped up in every individual person. We need to love their soul. And we've got to get along. Because if we can't love our brother that's sitting next to us on the pew, when, when, when we get to heaven, how's that going to work? He says, if you can't love your brother whom you've seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? We've got to love our brethren. We've got to come together. And, and I'm not, this is not a, a, a hit sermon on this, on this congregation. This is a loving congregation. But it's something that if we don't pay attention to and we get tunnel vision, it's really easy for us to bite and devour one another. Because, oh, so-and-so did this to me. And, boy, I really don't appreciate it. Man, oh, sister so-and-so did that. Have we ever thought maybe there's a reason brother and sister so-and-so are the way they are? What about someone that's hard to get to know? That maybe you try to get to know them and you think, man, you know, they're just hard and I really don't want to be around them and man, I can't get these people to open up to me. Have you ever thought that maybe they have trust issues for a reason? How many times has someone thrown them under the bus and they've been hurt emotionally by opening up to someone? Maybe someone's overly brash, someone's overly uh, confident because they've been hurt, and that's their defense mechanism. Do we see that? There's reasons to human behavior. Sometimes it's just because people are jerks. I understand that. But the point is, when we see our brothers and sisters, there's reasons, and we've got to love them because of it, because we're all human. We're all human. And we all need grace, don't we? I do. But we need to see our brothers and sisters. We need to look into everybody's heart as best we can as humans, not with judgment, but with love. And when you do that, you want to talk about a family that you can't drive a wedge between? When there's true love in a congregation, it's a congregation that's going to grow, and it's a congregation that cannot be stopped. And that's exactly what God wants from us. The last component I want to talk about this morning in, in the site component or the site foundation or the site uh, as we're talking about it this morning, we have to see the lost. That's hard. It's very hard sometimes. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through, 9, 18 through 20, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And there was no limit set on that. He didn't say, go ye into all the world and go into the good neighborhoods and the places where the houses are nice and they've got three-car garages and on and on, and you make sure that those guys come to church. No, he said, you go and wherever you're at, wherever, you're, wherever you stop, you preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Why? You know what he's done for you. We talked about that a little earlier. I know what he's done for me. Let's tell others. Let's help others feel the love, feel the forgiveness, feel the compassion, and see all those things in our lives and see it in theirs. I, I, I want to put, put this to you, uh, an example. I'm going to talk about two people. One of them is a guy probably say in his mid, mid-30s, mid-40s, got it together, got a nice house, Got a good family, 
got a good job, and you see him standing over there, and you think, man, this guy's got it, got it together. Looks pretty good. Now, you've got this guy over here. Now, on the other hand, you have a woman that's a harlot. And I'm not going to get real street in my vernacular or anything like that, but you know what that lifestyle entails. Maybe there's some drug use. And then what entails in that lifestyle? Some abuse and other things like that. What's your first reaction if you see those two people standing there and only one of them you have the chance to give the gospel to? Which one are you going to choose? Unfortunately, most of the time, if I look in myself, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the, the guy in his mid-30s, mid-40s that's got it all together. I've got a better chance there. Well, if you haven't figured it out, that's an example from the Bible. If you aren't reading too far ahead of me in my thought process, the woman that I talked to, or the woman in the example, is Rahab the harlot. And she was in the city of Jericho, and she practiced that trade. And there were some men in that city, and they were on the run from the, the army of that city, the men of God of Israel. And they get, come to her house, and she says, you come in here, and I'll take care of you. And she hit them on the roof. And she waited for the people to go by. And they came in, they said, Where, the, we saw these guys coming in your house. She said, they're not here. They must have went on down the street. And she told those guys, she said, all I ask of you is when, with God being with you, when you come to destroy this city because of the wickedness, please remember me and my family. She said, I know God's with Israel. And she let them down the wall and they went on. And when they destroyed that city, they saved her and her family. This other guy's the rich young ruler. He stood in the presence of Christ and he said, what do I need to do to be saved? And, and Jesus said, you love your parents? Yes, sir, I do. Do you keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Yes, sir, I do. Everything. And Jesus went through nine of the Ten Commandments. And he said, Lord, I've done all those things. And I've kept them from my youth up. And he said, well, if you want to follow me, he said, go and sell all that you own and follow me. And that guy that had it all together, the guy that I wanted to take the gospel to in the first place, said, I'm not interested. But Rahab the harlot was the grandmother of Boaz, who beget Obed, who beget Jesse, who beget David, the king of Israel. She was very valuable to God. Something that we look on the outside and find disgusting and find filthy and find dirty, God can find value in. And she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You think God can't fix a broken life? He can, if you'll just see him. And we can help Christ fix broken lives if we'll just see them, if we'll see the sinner, if we'll look past the outside of the cup and look to the inside of the cup and see the soul. Hate the sin and love the sinner or love the soul. We can truly help people see Jesus. Help him see them and help us to see others. That's all I have to say this morning. Like I said, I hope the things that I've, I've said this, this morning you found edifying. I hope it's something that we can take and, and be better in the future. I know I've enjoyed putting it together and I know it's something that I needed. If you're here this morning 
and you haven't obeyed the gospel, that good news is, is you can be washed from your sins. All you have to do is confess that he's the son of God and be buried with him with ba- in baptism for the remission of your sins and you can rise to walk in newness of life. Anything that you've done, gone away. Are you here this morning and find yourself away from God, taking a path that maybe you don't want to be on, the wider path, and you want to get back on the straight and narrow? We'd love to pray with you this morning, pray for you and help you in any way that we can. If there's one of either class, come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.